And as snarky as you want, Seth. As snarky as you want. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 319 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by the usual cast of characters, Fosma Moon, Seth Miller. How are you guys doing? Great. How are you? Yeah, you know, that's like, great. That's mighty optimistic for us these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all right. <laughs> okay, how, how about, I, I thought that was a pretty good accomplishment, but maybe not anymore. I, I got out of bed. Okay, let me take a step back. <laughs> Meh. Better? Yeah, that's that's more appropriate. That's is that the new awesome <laughs> or great? <laughs> Yay! Uh, so we got some quick follow up from last week. Was this last yeah, week? Yeah, just a few weeks ago. But yeah, A three fifty ultra long range cargo. Yeah, so we talked about uh, Singapore Airlines bringing JFK back instead of Newark. You may recall it was a few weeks ago. And at the time, there was some discussion about how useful it would be for cargo purposes, but that they were using the standard config, not the ULR. And we went back and forth a little bit about that. And at the time, I suggested that they don't block that the fuel tanks are the same size, so that doesn't there's no extra fuel tanks, so that doesn't displace potential cargo space. It turns out that even with the same size fuel tanks, however, they do uh, close the forward cargo bay off, so you can't use it at all. On the ultra on the, on the ULR model, and I don't know if it's a balance thing or what, but those those container positions are not available. So there is more physical space available on the non ULR model because of that. So maybe not more weight or range necessarily, but if you're not filling it to the you know whatever max takeoff weight numbers are, uh, that's useful. So that's why they chose that one. Uh, that came about. I finally learned it because uh, Singapore announced that they're bringing San Francisco flights back. Really? Uh, yeah, but they're but they are using the ULR with the higher premium config for San Francisco, so that's a passenger demand route. While LA and JFK stay on the non ULR model for the cargo capacity. <laughs> Very interesting. So I was excited to learn something new, and I got to correct myself. So that's exciting too. I, I mean, I, I will take it when Seth has to correct himself, and someone else doesn't have to do it. It's, it's a win. <laughs> I mean, someone else did it first, but I'm doing it here, <laughs> obviously. I mean, it's not like I just randomly discovered this. I had to tell someone, "Are you sure?" and then be yeah, corrected. Told, yes, I'm sure. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, I am. <laughs> Um, As far as new topics, so uh, American Airlines has announced that they are not going to charge change fees on international tickets, Um, and United has said they're going to follow suit. The United part is almost as interesting as anything else. So American basically in the midst of, I guess last week at some point, was like, oh, and hey, by the way, we're not charging uh, change fees for long haul, right? So everybody, the big three at least, uh, dropped change fees for basically U.S. flights, and then depending on the airline, various versions of Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean, etc. Uh, but all sort of sh- regional slash short-haul flights. And then American last week added to that, deciding that they're going to drop change fees on all their international routes, as long as, you know, the long-haul services, as long as your flight originates in the Americas. Okay. Uh, and that's so interesting and weird. North and, north and South and Central? North and South and Central. So there's, I, I got to think that the there's some joint venture challenges, perhaps with like tickets issued other, like over Japan, you know, in Asia or in Europe. I don't know, or they're just holding out hope that there's a competitive disadvantage here to not do that, or trying to make a competitive advantage that they don't need in those markets because they're too small. I don't know, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation. But yeah, you know, they're also getting rid of the telephone thirty five dollar telephone reservations fee permanently. You know, 
Very uh, did, permanence. Didn't they make redeposits free for everybody recently too? Yeah. So, I mean, is this the beginning, the middle, or the end of the customer-friendly behavior of the airlines? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a question. <laughs> this is the beginning. You know, all these changes are the beginning of that. Then we get to actually experience those changes for some time, which will be the middle of it. And then the airlines will realize that they can start make money at this shit again. And then they will start charging again and it will be the end. So enjoy, well, I, enjoy, enjoy the two years while you can, right? Well, I guess the question is, will we be seeing more behavior like this or is this kind of it? You know, in, in the other direction, right? What else can they possibly charge for? I always liked to think that we were finding the end and the airlines always came up with more creative new ways to start charging for things. Uh, at some point, they have to stop charging. You know, if they're un- if they're stopping charging for things, they're going to run out of things that they charged for. Uh, but I don't know when we'll quite get there. And yet, basic economy sticks around. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's, uh, the change fee remains for basic. Of, of course. So that's actually an, an example where America is keeping something negative on the basic economy. First. Even, like, they even are, right, they're doing upgrades on basic economy if you're an elite member. So they... Got rid of a lot of the negatives around basic economy, but uh, fortunately, is United doing upgrades on basic economy? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, and so, why do you say United? It, that oh, news so, is more interesting because I think it was a Raiders story about this. Someone called United and was like, "Hey, are you guys going to match this?" And United spokesperson was like, "Yes, we are. We just aren't ready to announce it yet," which is the most bizarre sort of sort of positioning at all, of all. I don't know. Like, <laughs> we haven't figured out the to draft a press release and say, me too. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey guys, we're doing that also. I don't know. It's like it, either you were preparing for it and got scooped and, you know, get your, someone to finish editing it and put it out there. Or like, I know it's looks weirdly reactionary and then ag- admitting that, yes, you're going to match, but haven't yet announced it. It's just a weird situation to me. Yeah, I mean, because isn't saying, yes, we are going to match announcing it? Announcing it, it? right. <laughs> uh, or sure? be like, we're, we're evaluating the situation and we'll have comment tomorrow. I don't know. We'll have are a we comment sh- soon. Are we sure the response wasn't, we ha- do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, we just got to call Delta and see what they're doing first. I don't know. <laughs> we're going to wait to see what Delta does first. I, it's, yeah, that's like I said, that's I find that, you know, differently, but very interesting and amusing. And, and so they're doing. Are they doing the same thing with the same restrictions? Uh, we don't know because they haven't actually announced details. Oh, so it's had, nothing's been announced for, as far as for United. Yeah. yeah. So people are just guessing. Okay. Well, no, like it's sort of confirmed via a PR comment, but other, like Corpcom, someone at Corpcom said yes, but didn't offer any other information. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. Like I've seen blog posts uh, out there saying this is what's happening, but none of them really know what the details are because those details haven't been released. I don't believe United's really details. Yeah. Well, they let the agents know that the change fee thing is not just a temporary thing. No, that's too much to ask. Every agent I talk to, still, oh, it's only temporary. It'll go away in a month. It's only been extended for a month. Every time. <laughs> yeah. Do you have to? Do you have to tell them that you, that, that you get change fees are free? I've had to a couple of times, yes. That's more What types of bears? I'm curious, because right, has it been long haul or all domestic stuff? All domestic. Long haul, I just wait for them to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, funny, not funny? I don't know. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> if they cancel, then they can get a refund. Yeah. All right. I hear you. If I'm proactive, well, that's a different problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm wondering if... Foz, you and I have flights booked next year. Uh, if if this will be uh, still going on next year, you know, where will they still honor no change fees on these types of tickets? Well, I think I don't know which ones you booked, but I've got one in March, which I think is really at the moment a fifty fifty shot and declining. Yeah. The one in May hmm, is at fifty fifty and has isn't declining just yet. Mm-hmm. So if they cancel, they cancel. True. Yeah. 
There's nothing more we can do about it. I just wonder if, if United is going to fly, try and fly these inaugural routes because they can, <laughs> just to say they some, get some positive news out of, out of all this. I mean, the, the airlines will do stupid things. I don't think they would do something that stupid just to say they've done it. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to see San Francisco Bangalore launch just because it can. Mm. Right, they're going to wait. They're going to want to make sure that there's actually going to be people on board. Or Newark Joburg. Or Newark Joburg, right, and that people can get off at the other end mm-hmm. uh, and enter the airport. Uh, <laughs> I'm reasonably certain they wouldn't like to trip in vain an entire flight. <laughs> One never knows. <laughs> well, then it's our flight. It's not. It's not long. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk London. JetBlue, London. What, yeah. do you, what do you know, Seth? What do you know? Split operations. Whoa. So JetBlue applied for slots at Gatwick, Stansted, and Heathrow, was denied at Heathrow, received four pairs at – they applied for four pairs at each. They received four pairs at Stansted, two pairs at Gatwick, and zero at Heathrow, um, and decided to operate Boston to Stansted twice daily and JFK to Gatwick. Once daily, even though they got two, they're only going to run it once to start. And that's for officially it's for the summer season. Um, mm-hmm. The reality is they don't plan to launch and summer season starts in March, end of March, um, end of March to end of October is the IATA summer season. Uh, they don't still don't intend to launch until Q3 at some point as the current scheduling. So, you know, peak, peak summer travel season. Uh, let's talk about pent up demand, yada, yada, yada. But the decision, even though they could run everything from Stansted, the decision to split uh, Gatwick Stansted's an interesting one to me, and, and, I, and I, I go a couple of different ways with that. And just to be clear, like I, I'm not hugely familiar with London uh, geography, but Stansted's the one to the north, right, northeast ish. Northeast-ish, yeah. And it's pretty far. Newton's northwest-ish, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, Stansted, you take the Stansted Express goes into Liverpool. And Which it's pretty far, far, right? It's, it's far. It's like an hour. They're all yeah. about an hour. If you, I mean, plus or minus, right? Obviously, Heathrow. If you take the Heathrow Express, you can get there in like fifteen or twenty minutes, depending. But everything's everything's the Heathrow Express now. They got rid of the normal one. They got the, rid of the TFL. Yeah, they got rid of Heathrow Connect, but they didn't that's get the rid one, of that's what it is. Yeah, but they used to have the tube. Yeah, but what did they get? But they did get rid of the Connect, but they replaced it for a TFL because that's going to be the new TFL line, the Victoria line or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, if that ever opens, Crossrail. Yeah. Um, it, was anyway, there, it, it was there in February. I know that. Yeah. Now that I just there's uh there is train service to Stansted. I took it when I went. I actually flew Primera, uh, Boston to Stansted. So getting on the JetBlue inaugural will not get me a new line. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's. I understand the concern about it being more remote. I understand the concern. You know, it depends on where you need to be in London. As with all of them, right? What neighborhood you're trying to get to, and how you transfer once you get to town, so to speak will always be an issue. Um, but I also, like, I was off the plane, walked straight to an immigration counter without having to take, you know, uh, tunnels or anything, and then walked, like, there's no line, no waiting, because that was the only flight arriving. You walk through, I was on the train platform before I would have gotten a baggage claim at Heathrow mm-hmm. or Gatwick. So, um, I... would I, say that's, like, the biggest problem with Heathrow, right, is the one, the walk into immigration, which is yeah. unpredictable. Yeah, it's just it, I I I understand the value of like big airport with lots of onward connections. Okay, well if just you know you're flying into Stansted, so you've got some connections. They just all are on low cost carriers, um, and it's not going to have luxury lounge options, which 
if someone's going to argue that that's going to make people, you know, business travelers book away rather than, you know, the question of is it the right price flight in an airport that gets me close to where I need to be much more quickly. Um, I don't know. I, I like lounges a little bit, but not enough to, like, book the wrong airport just to have a better lounge experience for a couple hours of a 10 hour after right before an eight hour flight. I'm wondering, like, I wonder why the split with JFK going to Gatwick and Boston going to Stansted. Do you think they have some kind of data there to say these travelers are more likely to go to Stansted? Is that do you think that's something they have access to? So Stansted is probably not too bad to get to the east side to the financial area because mm -hmm. you come down um, if you come into Liverpool, right? It's like two or three tube stops. You could even walk it okay. to parts of the financial area. Yeah, that's one part of it. The other thought I had is that um, <clears throat> that because they did get some slots at Gatwick, and they remember JetBlue announced uh, they wanted to have this weird partnership with Norwegian, um, which of course now presumes that Norwegian still is in business and has any airplanes operating, uh, given that they filed for bankruptcy on their leasing aircraft leasing and holding groups in Ireland last week. Uh, but putting that part aside, uh, Nor the connection point would be Gatwick for those onward routes. And mm. so if JetBlue really still wants to make that work, they need Gatwick, but they only got the two pair assigned and they needed, they needed at least three, if not four. So part of me says they're hedging their bets and getting the one at Gatwick so they can start establishing service at Gatwick. Maybe the JFK passengers are more likely to connect onward uh, than the Boston passengers. And uh, as an established carrier, they, they might have a, a you know better chance of getting more slots next year. Um, at Gatwick once they've, you know, set things up. But in the meantime, they need enough slots to operate their double daily Boston. So they're going to keep that at Stansted. Gotcha. If okay. that makes sense. That's, I mean, I just made that up, but it seems like it makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Didn't uh, Norwegian get some slots at Heathrow earlier this year? I don't remember that. Usually when that sort of thing happens, it's like one slot, three days a week. Good luck. It's not a useful number for any level of service. Yeah, I, don't, I, I can't remember if they gave them back, but I'm wondering if that's something JetBlue could use. No. They, if they have them, they don't. Uh, yeah, they, they did secure some slots, uh, three pairs uh, for last summer, but they, uh, they're not going to – they didn't keep them, and you have to operate them. So they're gone. And could they have transferred them to JetBlue? Maybe they're – you know. And and just so I'm sorry, it was three three times weekly. I was right. It was it wasn't even three times daily. It was three flights a week. It was terribly useless number of flights. Uh, didn't just for my memory, didn't uh, Continental like they used to fly to Gatwick? That was their yep. primary airport. They had to because of Bermuda Two. What's what's that? Sorry, uh, Bermuda Two was the tr name of the treaty that governed flights between uh, the United States and the United Kingdom before. The European Open Skies Treaty uh, superseded it when that was signed in like 2008 or 2009. So when Heathrow, quote unquote, opened up to the U.S. carriers, that was because of the Open Skies rule mm. um, that required them to uh, airports to be open. Um, prior to that, only United, American, Virgin Atlantic and British Airways were permitted to fly between Heathrow and the United States. Well, even before that, it was or when it was signed, it was Pan Am and TWA. 
Yeah. So those on, yeah. on the U.S. side, and they were Pan Am. Pan Am sold its routes to United, and TWA, TWA. went to sold its Heathrow Authority to um, sold its American. Whole, it sold everything to American. <laughs> well, this is, but they sold that before anything else. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, yeah, fair point. Um, but yeah, and it was obviously it was Bermuda too because it was the second of the Bermuda treaties, which and they were negotiated in Bermuda, so, sort of like Schengen Zone is called that because the treaty was negotiated in the town of Schengen. I, I'm I, you know I actually never flew into Gatwick on Continental. I did. I, I never got that chance. I went a few times. I just never did the Cleveland line. They flew Cleveland to Gatwick? Oh, yeah. 7 5. What? Summer. In the they summers. Flew, they flew Cleveland to Ped de Gaulle on a 7 5. Yeah. Oh, man. I, man, that Cle- Cleveland was a real hub at one point. Yeah. 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 Seems like such a world away. <laughs> so long ago. Um,. What else we got? We've got uh, Aer Lingus, uh, speaking of transatlantic routes, uh, and uh, they are going to be in a JV uh, with and, and going to Manchester. What's the, what's the story here? So two half stories. The joint venture is the One World joint venture. So they're not joining One World, but the joint venture that includes Finnair, uh, British Airways, Iberia, Open Skies, the airline, not the treaty, um, and Royal Jordanian, bizarrely. Um an American will now include Aer Lingus, but they have to dump Royal Jordanian from it because this U.S. government said that was stupid. Um, but Aer Lingus will be allowed to join for the purposes of, you know, fair price fixing and schedule collusion. Um, that was a tentative, you know, tentative approval um, with a few limitations, but nothing sort of slot or otherwise related um, on the U.S. side. The slots thing where it gets interesting is that the U.K. Competition and Markets Authority has previously said that it is evaluating the slot situation for specifically around Aer Lingus and the sort of BAAA. And with Aer Lingus joining that uh, venture now, like 70 percent of the Heathrow slots will be controlled by that venture. Even though not all, obviously not all of them go to the U.S., but uh, it's a large number, and so the U.K. authorities may potentially require divestiture of some slots, which, not surprisingly, JetBlue has been pushing for very strongly because it would be enough slots to get daily service uh, in, almost certainly not just you know three times a week. But the uh, that's not going to happen for a couple of years yet. The UK has explicitly stated that they're taking their time and evaluating the competitive situation. And even before COVID had announced this. So they're not doing anything until 2023, I believe. Summer season 23 is when those slots might be available for uh, auction. So until that, you know, so at least it's, you know, sort of two full years of not available. And so with that, JetBlue definitely can't get them yet. But um, And there's no guarantee what the CMA is going to actually say on the UK side. But the US has basically deferred to them to decide what's going to happen. Hmm. So um, with this JV, what does that mean for United's partnership? Is it gone now, you think, with, with Aer Lingus? Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, and if it is that, I mean, it, it doesn't have to die as a result of the JV, uh, but it sort of depends on how motivated Aer Lingus will be to sort of sell into it. Also, I feel like it was sort of already going away. They had, I, feel, I don't know. I feel like they cut some things out of it at one point, but. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then there's the Manchester half. Yeah. What's the Manchester half? That's what I was going to say. They're going to put four planes there for the summer season. Aer, Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus is going to operate transatlantic service from Manchester. I've heard, I've seen Boston, JFK, Philly, Chicago, Orlando. As the destinations, but they realize they're Irish, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You got Virgin Atlantic's pulling back from Manchester, and Shannon is very, you know, has been a useful market in the past, but I think is probably thinner as demand traffic goes and can be vaguely served well from Dublin. 
and they see an opportunity and they've got these planes. So they're going to try to set up a base in Manchester. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, actually, mention, I'm not sure exactly how that works with Brexit, but yeah, that's what I was going to wonder. I mean, Erlingus is Ireland is part of the EU. Uh, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, for what it's worth, the U.S. and speaking, sort of going back to our Bermuda 2 conversation, the U.S. and the United Kingdom did sign an open skies agreement last week. Hmm. So even even if, uh, yeah, Bermuda 2 is now even outside of the EU open skies treaty, Bermuda 2 is dead. Interesting. That's that's good news also. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. I mean, Manchester is, I guess, you know, more of a leisure. Yeah, it's more of a leisure market too, right? So you know, Right. That's why you do summer seasonals to big yeah. cities. Yep. And I guess you said Orlando is one of the yeah. So they're gonna have a three thirty that'll do Orlando turns, and then three twenty one LRs that'll do the others, sort of New England or Northeast plus Chicago. I think there, there won't be any mechanical issues on that three thirty ever. No, definitely <laughs> not. I mean, it's just a couple hours away if they need to ferry a, a three thirty across. I guess <laughs> if they have one sitting around. Yeah. Oh man, times are weird. Uh, I was gonna say if we're going into you know. Uh, still vaguely what should be a sh- pretty depressed summer of travel. So I'm guessing they'll have some spare aircraft. Yeah. Uh, Delta and WestJet, uh, their JV is over, done, fin- finished. What's, what's Never got off the ground. Oh. Ha ha. hey uh, the So I was actually, I'm actually surprised by this. They got received a tentative approval uh, with conditions. The conditions were Swoop had to operate fully at arm's length. They couldn't figure into any of the conversations. Um, and Delta's, and in their response, they argued that, you know, Swoop shouldn't be excluded. But what they're calling included isn't really including the flights. It's just including them for, like, route planning purposes of where they want to exclude Swoop from operating to make sure to protect the joint venture flights, essentially reducing competition. So it's a mm-hmm. weird turn of phrase there. But the eight LaGuardia slot pairs, the WestJet got its eight LaGuardia slot pairs when Delta and American tr- or U.S. Airways traded uh, LaGuardia for National. Mm-hmm. And now that they are going to be joint venture partners, basically all of the other smaller U.S. carriers, the Allegiant Southwest, which isn't smaller, but whatever, uh, JetBlue, Spirit, all sort of petitioned to say uh, WestJet shouldn't get to keep those slot pairs because we made Delta give them up in the first place. This is just giving them back into Delta's control. Mm-hmm. And the DOT agreed, which mm-hmm. pissed uh, pissed WestJet and Delta off something special. Um, they wrote a you know polite but pretty nasty objection, saying that you know this is bullshit. You never do this to anyone else. Why'd you single us out? Also, forget it. We're leaving, taking our ball and going home. Except they don't have a ball to take home. So um, yeah, they they withdrew the application though. They not even oh, like not even an appeal slots. saying please please reconsider. They were just leaving. But I mean, what can they do then? Because they're not they're not in the same alliance. I mean, the JVs yeah, they can they can still code share. They can still have some frequent flyer frequent flyer reciprocity, but they can't do coordinated scheduling and fare sets. That's what the J, the antitrust immunity in JV gets you. Are those really are those really worth those slot pairs? Really worth that? Giving that up? It could just be an excuse to bow out at a time when it's not worth investing money. Mm. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's obviously that. I, I wonder how much investment there really would be. I thought that WestJet, I, you know, I would have thought that 99% of the integration was already complete at this point, sort of pending the approval. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what money, like, if it's throwing good money after bad or what, but I, I'm, I'd i be surprised if there's a lot more money to spend. Um, you know, they, they mentioned that if you're going to make us sell these slots now, we're doing it at a period of time where the market is terribly depressed, so we're going to have to sell them for less money than they're really worth. And, 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 and. They have a whole sort of litany of things that 
reasons this is stupid. But when I look at it, I, just, I can't help but wonder how much sort of what was the revenue potential of the JV? What was their sort of upside that they were expecting to pull? And mm. how is it that this makes more sense instead? How, like, how, like if, okay, if, if you're going to lose or get 15 million less for each of those slot pairs than you would have before, and you're down, that puts you down 120 mil. Over the next five years, was the sort of value of this JV less than $120 million? Hmm. I don't or, know. Or did WestJet, was it WestJet? And WestJet was saying, hey, we really want the slot pairs because we well, need I mean, to be able to either way. Well, so, the, the, Delta, the option was Delta could also give up eight. West just didn't have to give up their eight, but between the two of them, one of them had to. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they had to give up eight total combined and they had to be plus or minus 30 minutes of the eight WestJet slots. So you had to have distribution throughout the day. You couldn't give up like six, six, oh, five, six, ten, six, twenty, you know, <laughs> and screw whoever got them. Um, there was also some interesting uh, sort of... A weird decision by the DOT, I'll say, to when those slots, when it was decided that those slots would have to be divested, they would go to auction. It was going to be a single pool of the eight. And they changed the rules in terms of who was allowed to bid. And it used to be based on X percentage slot holders. So you had to be, in the old version, it was you had to be a 5% or lower slot holder at LaGuardia to be able to bid. And they changed the rule this time around to make it 10%, which which added Southwest back into the mix. Um, so... I, I there one of the things that they noted in the uh, objection slash uh, withdrawal of the application was that forcing divestment of these slots was not going to create competition on the LaGuardia to Toronto route, which is the route that WestJet flies with those slots, uh, because none of the airlines that were going to buy them potentially fly to Canada. <laughs> but if right? you look you, at you, Southwest, compare- JetBlue, Allegiant, Spirit, Frontier, none of them fly to Canada. Yeah, but if you compare it to the Delta slot portfolio, right, it adds competition in other markets. Sure. Absolutely could add competition in other markets. But And so the question is, is the discussion about general competition overall or that specific market? And, you know, Delta and WestJet make the point that only twice in the history of ATIs have slot divestitures been required. One was American and British Airways, um, and they only were required to give up like three pairs at, or two or three pairs at JFK and Heathrow. Which Delta got? There was the Philly flight and the Miami flight that Delta has since re- you know repurposed to other destinations, uh, and then Delta Aero Mexico had to give up two JFK slots for their full joint venture, and that's because they operated competing flights on the route, and to give up eight slot pairs for this JV was seen as wildly incongruous to the size of the JV or the potential reduction of competition. It's it's I see it from both sides. This is an interesting one, but it was I don't know. I I also. I do feel like, you know, they must have been looking for an excuse to get out of this somehow because it's hard for me to believe that the value of the JV in terms mm. of cost synergies or revenue synergies can't have been worth eight slot pairs at LaGuardia. Yeah. Wow. I would say I would say that interesting is, is, is an understatement a little bit just from, I mean, financially, right? Like, yeah. How, how do you look at this deal and be like, you know what? LaGuardia is more important than the entire trans-border Canadian-U.S. market. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the from from New York, from New York, <laughs> too. Like, well, especially, right? Especially, but like, literally the entire transborder market. Mm-hmm. They they Which, gave up everything for these eight slots. But I mean, like you said, though, they can still coach here. But does yeah. that 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 doesn't give them, I guess, the power? It doesn't give them uh, pricing power. It doesn't it yeah. it doesn't reduce competition in the market to give pricing power and other value that alliances and JVs typically deliver. Yeah, yeah. antitrust immunity and JVs. Mm-hmm. I mean, alliances. they clearly wanted out of it for some reason. The question is, what was that reason? Yeah. Anyone from Delta wants to let us know, feel free to give a call. 
I'm around. Happy to chat. <laughs> um, Alaskan American. Uh, there's West some, Coast. Yeah, there's some details now about this uh, partnership slash uh, Alaska's joining of One World. Um, you excited for upgrades? Maybe. <laughs> if I ever fly again, what's an upgrade? <laughs> yeah. uh, American Platinum Pro or whatever, and 1Ks will get upgrades eligible on Alaska Airlines and Alaska's MVP 75 Gold, Gold 75K, whatever, mm-hmm. will be upgrade eligible on American Metal. So the highest tier of Alaska? Tiers, yeah. So is it MVP Gold and MVP Gold 75K? No, or just gold? 75K. Okay. I like that. Because I'm a 75k, I like that. Like I said, you to get to 75k. Yeah, I'm not sure what. I'm not sure where you'll slot in. I, I would imagine at the bottom. At the bottom of platinum pros <laughs> after <Yeah>. the golds. <laughs> after after, after a after a silver, uh, whatever they call it now. It's gold. gold. Yeah. Oh, okay. A, A's bottom tier is gold. Um, hey, I was number one on the list for an upgrade as a gold the other day. And you didn't get it. Did it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, the only, and it's actually funny. The reason I didn't get it is because they had to block this. They blocked the seat closest to the jump seat. Mm. Uh, so there's no passenger facing the flight attendant during uh, COVID times. Now, is there any other benefits between these two? Uh, so they talk about lounge access. They talk about baggage, priority boarding, blah, 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 all the normal stuff. And then there's also sort of teased out mention of long haul upgrades for Alaska's frequent flyers once the American brings its long haul service to Seattle. Wait, wait, wait. We're going to get E500s back? No, yeah, like swoos. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like the five E five hundred certificates that American had. Don't they still have them? Oh, yeah, they're still. I don't know. I don't fly American. Yeah, yeah E five hundred still exists. But no, Stephen, Stephen, think bigger, my friend. Smooth. Oh, oh okay. We'll System wise, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. It's it's unclear at all how that works. If it's going to be system wide upgrades or just points redemption or what, but they're talking about uh, upgrades for Alaska top tier on the long haul flights. Interesting. So, yeah, if it works, be, if it works out of everywhere and not just Seattle, that'll be great. Yeah, um, it would be a super weird implementation. Be like, yes, you can upgrade on these three routes, but not on the others. Yeah, you're not going there. <laughs> um, I'm. I mean, I'm interested. I can. I can finally fly to LAX and you know on American as well. Maybe get an upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> Nonstop. You're not going to take the United flight. Oh wait. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, no comment. Um, I mean, I, I wonder what's really going to happen with all this as we get into 2021. Um, I wonder if Alaska, I mean, it's good to see that there, there's some details coming out, but at the same time, I wonder what, um, COVID is going to do to their entrance into one world yeah. as a whole. Um, I think one world will still happen. I think they find, they set the date, like they, they were accelerating it, then they slowed it down and then they finally set the date. And I think there definitely were some challenges that were COVID related in terms of getting work done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that happens. I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about that necessarily, but I think the long haul flights on American are more at risk. Yeah. And uh, who the hell knows what the business is going to look like? I mean, just in general. But again, though, this goes back to if you already know what the rules are going to be, why not just tell us? And if you don't know what the rules are going to be, what are you doing announcing it now? Yeah, like little bits and pieces. Yeah. And the counterpoint to that is, but if we keep announcing it a little bit at a time, you keep talking about it. And so we own the news cycle over and over and over again. And it's always vaguely good news. Um, so I understand why they do it that way. It just drives me bonkers. Well, then if, if they drop some bad news every now and then, you forget. Yeah, because they followed up with good news the next day. Yeah. So, look over here, shiny thing. Shiny thing. <laughs> the sandwich method. Wedge the bad news in between the good news. <laughs> Oh, so last topic for this show, I think, um, 
Oh, Emirates and Auckland. There was uh, an onboard transmission of COVID, correct? Uh, Many. Many. Uh, a handful of cases. And it, and it raises a question to me because, one, I thought I thought New Zealand was closed. Uh, uh, quarantine on arrival. Quarantine on arrival, but I... I That's where these were caught. Okay. Um, but I didn't think that they were actually allowing anybody in. So I was surprised when I saw an Emirates flight going to yeah. New Zealand. So, uh, there are some exceptions to it. I know because there, there's a Russian, there's a Singapore Airlines flight that caught a bunch of Russian and Ukrainian seafarers. So cargo ship workers or fishing vessels, I'm not sure which, but they all came in and like 20 of them were sick um, and all got caught in the quarantine. Uh, same thing happened here. I don't know who the workers were. Uh, I know one was from Dublin and some were from Switzerland. So I don't think they were all necessarily like the longshoremen or whatever, but, uh, yeah, they, same idea that they, they showed up, you go into testing on arrival and apparently the passenger was asymptomatic when they boarded and or remained asymptomatic the whole time, but they were able to, through sort of DNA tracing of the virus itself, figure out from whom it transferred to where and whatnot. And yeah, five cases transmitted on board hmm. up to four rows apart. And right. This calls into question the value of the, like, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning studies. Um, and, Based on my limited experience uh, of half dozen flights in the last couple months, basically comes down to right. If everybody just sits still, stares forward, and keeps a mask on correctly, it will be fine. But not everyone wears a mask correctly. Not everyone wears it the whole time. People get up and go to the bathroom. People have drinks. People do blah 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 blah. And the same thing happened almost certainly on the Qatar Airways flight into Dublin over the summer. So that was responsible for a bunch of cases, you know, I think it, because Dublin wasn't doing quarantine on the ground, I think 59 people ultimately got hit, including a bunch on the ground. So you're just saying, you're just, on the plane. you just want to talk about this. Cause this is going to keep me from taking my one flight on United. Cause maybe people are stupid. <laughs> people are stupid. I, listen, I, I think that you'll be just fine if you get on the plane, especially if you wait till after the Thanksgiving peak of travel goes away and it's in a lull, but I think that right now traveling and spending certainly spending extended periods away from home is a bad choice. Yeah. I just, we were talking about before the show started. It's, it's not fun. There's very little, certainly the business travel aspect of it is not fun at all. The sort of, for me trying to figure out where the hell am I going to eat dinner? Where am I going to stay? Is any of it going to be reasonable or not? Sucks. Mm -hmm. And those aren't the types of, that's not the reason I like to travel. It's not why I, I go places. So, I mean, I, I, I hear you. I, I, call, I talked to United. I haven't called them yet, like Foss said, but they pretty much told me, you know, you, you got to fly the flight if you want yeah. the points. So. And I, I understand wanting the points and hoping either that things are vaguely back to normal by the end of next year that you can use them or that things are so back, not back to normal that they extend them, right? I mean, those are your, your two hopes there. But, you know, it's, it's the money part of it. You said, it, you said it's like 150 bucks. So the money part of it isn't really the issue. It's the time and the do you want to deal with being an air world for that bit of time and seeing the idiocy out there. Yeah. What were you going to say, Foss? Uh, I don't even remember. I mean, would you technically be required to quarantine when you get home? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing. Is our visit, are people traveling into Oregon required to quarantine? Uh, not required. It's strongly suggested. So that's the other thing to consider is you will have been a traveler at that point, even though you don't stop anywhere. You, you, you touch down. So you count. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's a show. That was a great, depressing way to end it. Oh, there's more. Oh. <laughs> Is there more? What's coming up? Uh, we're going to talk about more about uh, COVID and testing and travel bubbles in the bonus section. Uh, yeah, for our Patreon subscribers. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I just want to quick, quickly thank, actually, we have some new Patreon supporters. Chris Edwards, CB, Yannick, 
Joseph, Henry Chen, Sam, and Michael Fleming, thanks for supporting the show. We appreciate it. Um, uh, and, and thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers that are still uh, subscribing today. So uh, until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at Dots Lines, more Dots, more lines dot com. Uh, leave us a comment. Love to hear from you if you have questions or comments or if you've traveled recently. We'd love to hear about that. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening and bye bye. Take care. See you.